Welcome to the Interesting Podcast, episode number 50. We've made it to the big 5-0, people. And this one is uh, Jason Schneidman. Now, Jason Schneidman is a uh, hairstylist who works at the Chris McMillan Salon in Beverly Hills. Um, he is also one of the most genuine, authentic people I think I've ever had the pleasure of talking to. He's such a fun guy with some of the craziest stories. And to say that he's been through hard times would not do it credit. Um, but you look at him now, and he's this happy-go-lucky, extremely talented guy who's out there making a difference. Uh, but when you realize the road that he took to get here, um, he's been sober since '04. Um, and when I say sober, I mean sober from uh, the other end of the spectrum as far as drugs and alcohol goes. And I, Jason is very candid, and I absolutely love that because I think to be uh, to institute real change, you have to be genuine. You know, you have to tell the truth. And Jason doesn't sugarcoat it, and I, I love that about him. And this conversation, I mean, we talk about how he started working at the Chris McMillan Salon. Uh, risks that he's taken, where he's from, um, his personality type. Uh, and then we talk about sobriety and his ground zero and what turned him around and the road to recovery. And that leads to how I became aware of him, which is uh, street cuts uh, is what he calls them. Jason goes out and gives haircuts to the homeless. And I could not be more about that. Uh, he's out there making real human connections, real human interactions uh, with fellow human beings, you know, and I, I love the idea that somebody whose clientele includes, you know, Hugh Jackman, Bruno Mars, uh, James Corden, Liam Neeson, the same guy is giving haircuts to homeless people, and I just, I love that. So I reached out to Jason, and uh, we got to talking, and this originally was going to be like a 20-minute interview, uh, but his stories were so good, and I was so into them that uh, we went for almost an hour. But um, uh, Jason, you know, thank you so much for your time. Uh, if you're listening to this, I really appreciate the opportunity to tell your story. To everyone else, please enjoy the interesting podcast, episode number 50 with Jason Schneidman. Theme song time. Yo, yo. There we are. Can you hear me fine? I can. Good, good. I can hear you as well. How are you doing, my friend? Doing good, thank you. Good, good. You'll learn this is a, this is very lax, because I've learned with anything, uh, when you mention interview, typically people are like, oh, and they button up, and then you ask a question, you get an answer, and it's not really free-flowing. And I like to, I like to, yeah. get to know people, as a, I, I'm sure you do as well. Yes. But uh, I, I, sure. I did have a question. Where are you from? Um, so originally I grew up in Long Beach, right on the border of L.A. and Orange County. Oh, okay, okay. That makes a lot of sense. Given... Small, small, little cool, little surf town, super sleepy, ride your bike. It was just, uh, yeah, it was a cool little upbringing. Sure. I love that you've maintained the vibe as well. 
Thanks, man. Do you do you surf? I do. That's I spent all my time surfing from twelve to twenty. Really? I was in the water, and I was ditching school, and it was just my everything was being out in the water. It's it's definitely one of the best feelings I get. Sure. Uh, at the end of the day, and I've tapped into this service work, which uh, is a similar feeling at the end of the day. I I love your Instagram account for a hundred reasons. One of which. You have a biker dude kind of feel to you. You ride bikes? Yes. What do you ride? Um, I've had multiple Harleys over the years, and it's just been mostly Harleys. That makes sense. That makes sense. My dad's a big Harley rider. Oh, I love that. I, I just got my motorcycle license like three months ago, and yeah. uh, I've been riding a Honda Rebel because it's the closest thing to a Harley to start on. Yeah. But it's, it's a it's Yeah, a I, I actually learned on that in, in, the, in the little motorcycle school. Yeah, that I went to years ago, and uh, they were teaching us on little Hondas. There you go. I learned on a Harley at a motorcycle school, <laughs> so we reversed it. That's cool. But you are a hairstylist. Yep. When did you start cutting hair? So, um, I somehow, some way, got a pair of clippers young, and. I can't even remember this kid that I was where I was like, let's cut hair, yeah. you know? And it was like, it's like, God, what was I thinking? I, I guess pretty fearless and pretty reckless, you know? So at 14, I was going after my friend's head with clippers. And, uh, Just cause. you know, that opens a whole story if you're ready for that. I'm but, ready uh, for it. Do you want to flow? Okay, let's flow. So basically <laughs> at 14, um, in my little sleepy beach town uh, of Orange County, most of my friends were just towhead surfers, just blonde. You know, mm-hmm. it was Quicksilver, it was Billabong, and you know, it was just surf. Oh yeah, city, you know, and and my parents were New Yorkers, and uh, really, so you know, I was kind of the minority, being one Jewish, two dark hair and you know (laughs) kind of having an edgy new york upbringing sure um where new yorkers are outspoken and uh so i was in my uh little sleepy town my parents were taking me around the world to see stuff they would take me to venice beach um i would go to new york city um i was you know seeing different styles and trends Mm -hmm. and i would bring them back to my town and I would tell my friends, I'm like, dude, we have to do this. This is what's going on out of our little world here, out of our little bubble. Yeah. And um, we went through uh, different phases every week or every month where one week we were punk rock. And then, <laughs> you know, I was shaving mohawks. And then we went into this mod era mm-hmm. where we had trench coats and eyeliner. That's and we awesome. had egg whites in our hair. <laughs> and we'd have to get a, a Vespa scooter. And, you know, and then the next week was New Romantic when that phase hit. And we were like, Duran Duran, I was doing these haircuts of like, you know, just full, you know, Duran Duran haircuts. And um, so I was a guy that was just kind of fearless and going for it. And, and we would do this and we would go out to hook up with girls, it was working really well for us because we would stand out and they were like, oh my God. And so we were getting laid 
because I was the one that was, you know, changing our looks and people were gravitating it, sure. gravitating to us, you know. Sure. We were going to Knott's Berry Farm and it was like underage clubs and we were there and, you know, <laughs> it was it was working. So that's how I got into it. Gotcha. That's that's actually pretty amazing and, and fits with you as well, like always being ahead of the curb and stylish and like, this is happening, this is happening. You know, I, I work at Chris McMillan Salon in Beverly Hills. I've been there for 16 years and it turned out that a lot of celebrities started coming to my chair uh, because of the fact that I had put the 10,000 hours into men's haircutting. Sure. And uh, I started getting pretty good at men's haircutting and everything like whoa you're so good at men's hair cutting and i was like thank you and and so when you would call the salon and chris mcmillan's the elite oh yeah amazing salon like in the world one of one of the most you know amazing salons in the world and i'm smack dab right in the middle of beverly hill so you know celebrities have to get their hair cut and so they were ending up coming there and so when they would call and they'd be like can I get in with Chris? And Chris was out of town. I was the, the guy that was just riding Chris's coattails and I was catching the runoff. There you go. And um, so that's how I ended up getting his clientele was, you know, paying the dues over the years, cutting my friends and then going on to cut other men's hair throughout my whole journey, which was kind of out of my hands. It kind of just happened that way. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Actually, with your clientele, when a celebrity comes in, do they, do you have input on their haircut, or do they come in with an idea? Or is it like a creative process? I always have an input. It's it's, I, it's that's my problem. Yeah. I mean, it's like it wasn't until I was able to channel it and ask people if they want to hear my input yeah. when it started working for me. Yeah, you, um, you definitely I don't want to that. Like... Yeah, you I don't... just thought that. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I look at people walking down the street and I'm like, I have input, you know, it's like, <laughs> it just happens, you, you know, pull, pull over. Being, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's hair police pull over. They, yeah, yeah, you just pull out your clippers <laughs> and your badge, take a seat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's pretty amazing. Actually, that, that you have that sort of, uh, that's ballsy, man. Like you said, you're always on the front of the curve and to have input on something like that. I mean, like you said, you're working at the Chris McMillan salon. Like that's the dude that invented the Rachel, if I'm if I'm understanding yep, this correctly. Absolutely. That dude like defined yep. hair. That's crazy. And you're you're that guy. You're right there in the thick of it. That's that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Was Well, I mean, you keep bringing up stuff and it takes me down these avenues and so yeah. let me just tell you about Chris a Let's little do bit. It. So I uh I mean, this goes way back. I got to go back to my childhood and Good. and everything, all because it all leads me to Chris. So, mm-hmm. uh, just to tell you the story, um, you know, I was surfing from twelve to twenty. Mm-hmm. I uh, was barely grade, graduating high school. I had I didn't graduate in my class. I had to take summer school because I failed my senior year uh, because I was able to sign out from high school because I turned eighteen. Uh, <laughs> You know, and so I had my Volkswagen bug with surf racks on top, and I would just pretend like I was going to school, but I would make a right turn and go surf. And so they didn't pass me. My English teacher was like, I'm just so sorry. I can't do it. You just haven't been here. Sure. And I was able to manipulate and, and schmooze through all of school because the teachers liked me because I was a people person, right. and I wasn't a good student. You know, and I feel like a lot of hairstylists have this similar story, just beauty <laughs> school dropout, we're creative. Oh, yeah. You know, we we um, we just 
school doesn't work for us. It's just a different part of the brain, you know, we're creative. So, so I was into surfing. I was ditching. I barely graduated high school. And, um, you know, my parents were like, why don't you pick a profession and we'll pay for it? And I was like, I don't know what I want to do. And they're like, once you do hair, you do all your friends hair. And I was like, 1988, it wasn't a really cool profession back then. You know, I mean, I think the only one who was cool was Warren Beatty back then, you know? So I was in fear, you know, I'm a dude and I'm like, I don't know. Everyone's going to think I'm gay. And I wasn't comfortable with my sexuality back then, you know? Sure. And you know how, you know, kids are. And, and I was like, so in fear. My sister dated the pro surfer in our town and she was three years older and I always looked up to her. And, uh, so she gave me a little pep talk. She was like, yeah, Brent, Brent, you know, is this good looking guy, super feminine. And so basically, uh, she gave me this pep talk and she said, you know, guys always come up to Brent and it's like, yeah, you're gay or whatever, you know, you're femi. And he was like, yeah, but I'd fuck your girlfriend. <laughs> and, uh, so I was like, yeah, I love that. I love that, you know? Cause, yeah. And so she talked me into it. I went to hair school. I was the only dude there. There was 30 girls. And they were surrounding me going, whoa, how'd you do that with the clippers? So all of a sudden, the, the rock stars, you know, at hair school, yeah. was hooking up with girls left and right. I was like, this is amazing, you know? <laughs> so hair school's a year program, right? Full right. time. Took me five years to graduate. Okay. And I got kicked out of five different schools because <laughs> I was continuing to do what I did in high school where I was ditching and surfing and I was partying. And, but the good thing was you can clock in and out the hair school and you get your hours and you go back and the other good thing was i got a lot of different instructor training through going to hair schools because i went to so many schools with so many different teachers sure but um so i finally got the license um back up a little bit Mm -hmm. when i turned 18 i was like i'm free and i couldn't wait you know like like in high school where i was ditching and surfing but you know, I just was like, I got to get away from my family. I got to get away from my parents. And I was a hustler and a survivor and I didn't need anybody. So I jumped in my Volkswagen and we were in Palm Springs for spring break. Cause that was the spot to go to for spring break. Yeah. And, uh, me and my friends, we were there and we were all doing pushups. We had wife beaters on, we were all tan. <laughs> it was all about meeting girls and they were on there you know, they're ninja motorcycles with the G strings on the back and rabbit convertibles and people are jumping in and out of cars with squirt guns. And this was in the eighties, you know? Oh yeah. And it was unbelievable. There was nothing like it. Right. Spring break back in the day. Oh yeah. So we're there early and we meet the guys who own production companies down in San Diego and they were doing a rave right off of the strip in Palm Springs. And it was at a, it was at a racquetball bowling alley. And, each racquetball court had a different genre of music. So one room was one room was techno, the other one was house, the other one was hip hop. And they gave us a, a stack of flyers and they said, Hey, do you guys want to pass these flyers out? And yeah. you get to talk to girls <laughs> and sure. we'll give you a club list so you can invite who you want. You'll get a free bar tab. And wow. we were like, Absolutely, it's on. Yeah. <laughs> we're walking down the strip with these flyers. And we're like, hey, girl, let's kind of And so that taught me how to approach people by doing that, which I use today when I go out and I do these uh, street cuts that I've been doing. But yeah, so I became a club promoter that week, and 
these guys who own the production company were like, you guys are amazing. You guys packed the place. This is unreal. Um, how about if you come down to San Diego and I'll set you up beachfront with an apartment. And, um, and so I moved directly from Palm Springs to San Diego and I became a club promoter that was still cutting hair for people and partying every night. I had a bar tab. I had, you know, a club list. So it gave me the end with, with everybody. And I was close to the border. So I was feeding my addiction. If you would say, I didn't know it was an addiction back then, but drugs and alcohol are a big part of my story. Of course. And, uh, and so I was smoking weed all day mm-hmm. and I was drinking from six o'clock at night till six in the morning. I was doing cocaine. I was doing ecstasy. Uh, and I actually was right by the border. So I was meeting Mexicans that were bringing me this stuff for next to nothing. And I ended up becoming a drug dealer also. So right. in order to support my habit to pay my rent, to do club promotion, to stay afloat, um, I was subsidizing with drugs. So I'd go out to clubs at night and I'd have a pocket full of ecstasy, a pocket full of blow. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was in the mix and, uh, and I did that until the wheels fell off in 2000 and cops were coming for me and I had just uh, a, a big crack addiction. I started smoking crack cocaine and it was no longer about surfing or being at the clubs. It was about disappearing and just, you know, selling drugs to do drugs. Sure. And I was, I was 137 pounds and I had nothing left. And I basically jumped in the beater little vehicle at the time mm-hmm. just to get from San Diego back to my parents' house at 30 years old. And I detoxed on their couch myself for about a week or two. And I was like, oh, this is so great. I don't have to worry. I don't have to work to stay high. And I was just eating Lucky Charms and (laughs) watching TV. And I was like, oh, super chill. I felt like a kid again, you know, at my parents' house. Yeah. Well, that wore off. That wore off real quick. In about two weeks, I was like, what the fuck just happened to my life? Sure. I'm 30. I'm at my parents' house. (laughs) The reality. And, um, yeah. And so, um, so... I, I was like, I got to go out and uh, I got to have a drink and I got to do what I do. So I walked to the local bowling alley because my car got towed out in front of the house because it had expired tags on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at that point I had warrants for my arrest for paid unpaid tickets and I had bad credit of 433. And, you know, at 30 years old, I, I was, I was just a shell of a human being. I had nothing, yeah. you know? And I met this girl and she was also uh, a blackout drinker. And I met her at the bowling alley. And she's like, I live in Beverly Hills. And I was like, oh, my God, my meal ticket. I'm like, <laughs> I'm getting out of my parents' house. Sure. I met this rich girl. You know, every man's dream. Like, just meet a rich girl and ha- do nothing. You That's know, right. just <laughs> gigolo out, right? Yeah. So, um, so I uh, hooked up with her that night. And she said, why don't you move in? And I was like, uh, okay. And so I moved in the next day. Well, it turned out it wasn't Beverly Hills. Oh. And it wasn't every man's dream. It was West Hollywood. Oh, no. And I was 
smack dad right in the middle of Boys Town, which is like, <laughs> you know, everybody knows what Boys Town is in West yep. Hollywood. And here's a surfer from a small town in a fish out of water situation where it's just concrete jungle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just like, what happened in my life once again? Sure. So I was like, well, you know, I said when I moved to my parents' house that I'm done, you know, and uh, I'm done with the old life and I'm going to just become a hairstylist. I'm going to go legit. So, uh, no more doing what I'm doing. I, you know, I kind of felt like I made it out. And, uh, so I stayed with this girl and she would go to work during the day and I walked out into boys town. I was like, I walked in the salon. I was like, Hey, I'm a hairstylist. And they're like, well, you're cool. And they gave me a job and I was cutting men's hair and I was just doing me and, and I actually got really busy at the salon. I was just cranking out men's hair. Sure. And, um, and the girl would uh, black out and pass out. And I would take her car at night and I would go to Hollywood and I started smoking crack again mm-hmm. in Hollywood. And, um, and then my grandma passed away. Oh, man. And, you know, this was right at 9-11. I remember when the Trade Center came down the, the twin towers came down yeah um I, I think i went to bed at like six in the morning and and that happened at like nine in the morning if i'm not mistaken yeah. but i woke up and i was in this girl's bed and i was like what what is this oh my god and so that kind of gives you a timeline of where i was right but uh but uh so my grandma passed away and they, and she left me twenty thousand grand twenty thousand dollars because she had money and i i knew i was going to inherit this money so as soon as she passed away, like a week later, I called my parents and I was like, look, I'm in a, you know, a bad situation. I'm living with this girl. I'm not getting into it. Like, can I get some of that money and move out? And they're like, sure. So they fronted me 5000 and I was like, amazing. And I went and I found an apartment right above the Viper room. In oh, Hollywood. nice. And I moved in there and I bought a bed and then I was like, space. so I started smoking crack there and I burned through the remainder of that cash in like a couple of days. So sure. I hit up my parents again. I was like, can I get another five grand? And they were like, sure. I was like, I spent it all on this. And, and they were like, oh, no worries. And they gave me another five days. And I was like, off to the races. Sure. I smoked that in a week. I hit them up another week. I was like, can I get another five grand? And I'm like, look, it's my money. Just, just give it to me, you know? And they're like, okay. So they gave me 20 grand total. And I smoked it all in six weeks. And it was the first time my parents could see the depletion because I was, I was local, you know what I mean? I was, I was in LA, which is a lot closer than San Diego to Long Beach. So they had, they had saw that the money was gone and they had saw that I wasn't looking good. And I was always about looking good. You know what I mean? Like if I would come up for a party to see my parents, I would, hit the tanning salon or I would sleep and eat for two days prior. Cause I'm like, I need to show up for the family, you know, and <laughs> sure. I just smoke in mirrors, you know? Yeah. So I couldn't hide it at this point. And they were like, why don't you meet us for dinner? And oh, for now, I was like, a place in Beverly Hills. And I was like, okay, cool. And I had smoked about 200, uh, $200 worth of crack leading up to that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just barely made it there and I couldn't wait to get the fuck out of there. And, and, uh, so I'm sitting there and my mom's crying and I'm like blue and green, purple, 137 pounds again. Yeah. And, uh, 
and they were like, we're really worried about you. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm fine. I couldn't wait to get out of there. I'm like, I'm fine. You're tripping, you know? And, and <laughs> sure. they were like, once again, my sister chimed in, who I looked up to her. She was like, look, we love you, and I'm here for you. When you're ready, let me know. A week passed by. I, the 20 grand ran out, so I had to keep the hustle going. Right. And I ended up doing crystal meth in Echo Park with some gangbangers and we were printing up hundred dollar bills. Oh man. And and so I go to the local spot where all the Mexicans knew me where I pulled up in my truck mm-hmm. and they were used to me coming through with the twenty grand. So I came up and they didn't flinch when I gave them a fake hundo, you know and sure. and I you know, I pulled that over on them and then I went home and I smoked that. And I came back like an hour later going, well, maybe they don't know. Oh, maybe boy. they didn't know that it's fake. Because oh, no. it hasn't been that much time. And they, so I went back around, and they were like, yeah, pull up my shit down here. And I was like, this doesn't feel right. I'm like, I felt it out. It was wrong. And then basically they were chasing me, and I got out of there, and I made it out. I called my sister, and I was like, okay, I'm ready. Sure. I'm like, I'm going to rehab. So they're like, we'll come get you right now. And I was like, no, 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 I need to finish this night off, you know. And I got my hustle on, and I got high the rest of the night. And they said they'll come by in the morning. And I was like, God, I'm going to go to rehab. Like, I need to, like, make sure I get high, smoke weed one more time, because I knew I'd be done, done. You right. know what I mean? So hustled that, got some weed to go to rehab. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Got to and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I smoked a thumb, and then they came in, smoked a thumb, meaning a joint that fat, you know. Yeah. And at 6 in the morning, my parents came by. It was my mom and sister, actually. And I was at the top of the steps at this uh, Viper Room apartment. I was wearing, I remember to this day, I was wearing blue velvet pants. <laughs> and, I had a, and I had a wife beater on. The and uniform. that night before... I was listening to November Rain, having just a moment of like crying, breaking down, because music always really moved me. And it was like November Rain, I just remember. And I grabbed the clippers and I shaved the sides of my head that night. And uh, I looked like taxi driver. And I was at the <laughs> top of the steps. And, you know, they call it a vision for you. And I was just not a vision for you. But mm, yeah, <laughs> I, I can picture myself. It's like at a body stand. And they're like, my sister and my mom at the bottom of the steps are like, you ready to go to rehab Tommy Lee? And I was like, oh, my God, you guys are funny. And I was like, let's do it. So that was when I started in 2000, uh, my rehab tour. And I went to PRC, which was that celebrity show, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was celebrity rehab. So I was at that right when it opened. And I was there. And I was like, this is cool. I got this all good. And, and I went on for four years going in and out of the program. I couldn't get it. I would get some time and then, you know, I would go back out and I was doing it my way. And then in two twenty four oh four, hold on back up. So in that four years of going in and out, mm-hmm. I had a guy who was helping me uh, stay sober and he was like, we were at a meeting and he's like, what do you do? And I was like, I'm a hairstylist. And he's like, okay, cool. He's like, there's Carrie White. She does yada, yada, yada. And there's Chris McMillan. And he does Jennifer Aniston all these people. So I was like, cool. I went up to both of them. I went up to Chris and I was like, hey, I heard you're the man. <laughs> and I want to come work for you. I do hair. And he's like, looked at me and he's like, hmm, 
And he's like, how much time sober do you have? And I was like, a week. And he was like, <laughs> uh, why don't you get some time and come talk to me, you know? Sure. And I was like, cool. So I put six months together. I came back and I was like, hey, you know, I, I got six months, bud. And he's like, he's like, okay. He's like, you're kind of cute. He's like, I'll give you one day a week. And so I was like, awesome. And I was like, yeah, but what's one day a week? Like I cut hair. Like, don't you know who I think I am? Right. You know what I mean? And, right. and the guy that was helping me was like, you need to get humbled. Sure. And, you know, so I got the mailroom job at the bottom and I didn't speak a word. I didn't pick up scissors for a year and I had to sit there next to him. And, um, it was the best year of my life. I was sober. I was hanging around sober people. Uh, the salon was, was cool. It was edgy. I was meeting people. And then Chris left to go do a movie and, uh, I didn't have a job with Chris. So, and I was working at this other salon with uh, a bunch of the guys from Giuseppe Franco's who were like the Mickey Rourke crew. Yeah. And these guys were just like full gnarly boom, boom, Mancini, like Guido, like yeah. partiers, hairstylist dudes. And they opened a salon and they took me under their wing and I was hanging out with them and I was sober and they're like, you don't know, bro. And I was like, no, you don't know how I do it. You know what I mean? And I, was like, I was like holding on white knuckling, you know, because I wasn't around some people and I was doing hair. And there was a, a sushi restaurant next door that, you know, I was just like, oh, if I just had a tall Kieran or Sapporo and some sake, everything would be better. One right. day I ran next door and I grabbed that large Sapporo and, that sake and we started throwing down with my clients and I'm doing hair color and flipping scissors and the whole thing. And I'm like, told you guys, this is how we do it, you know? And, right. and about a month in, they were like, bro, you gotta go. You're like sucked up. Cause I started smoking crack again and that whole thing. Sure. And, uh, they're like, we really love you, but the clients are asking what's happening to you You're getting skinny. And they're like, we love you. So that, I left and I went back down to that little West Hollywood place that would take me no matter what. Right. And the owner was really great. And he, he just was unconditional. You know, he was like a really good dude, spiritual. And he was like, it was all good. Mm -hmm. So I ended up back there and I'm loaded and I got nothing and I'm miserable and I'm stealing and I'm panhandling and everything's falling apart. Mm -hmm. And I'm calling Chris McMillan salon. And I'm like, yo, I need to come back. I was working for you, and it was amazing. My life was never that good. And the girl at the front desk was like, sorry, we don't got nothing for you. And then, boom, I get the phone call. And it's like, Chris wants you to be here Monday morning, 745. He's got an 8 o'clock client. Can you be here? And this was Saturday. And I was like, absolutely, I'll be there. Mm -hmm. So Sunday night... I was smoking meth at a friend's house. I was doing crack cocaine and I was like, bro, you got to take me home because I got to get to get to work Monday morning. I have to be there. This is my big break, you know? Yeah. And he's like, he's like, I'm not driving you. you know, like cops are out there. Like you got to wait till the sun comes up. So I'm staring out his window going, sun's up at three, sun's <laughs> up at four, sun's up. And he's like, no, no, no. Sun actually came up and he wouldn't take me home. And I was like, what? Fuck you. And I kicked the door open. I kicked the front door open. I walked out to the street. Um, 
there was a, a, a truck that came by like a, that was delivering towels to the Century Plaza Hotel. And I'm like putting my prayer hands out, please, please wave my arms, give me a ride. The dude picked me up and I'm like, he's like, what's up, man? And I'm like, can you give me a ride? I live over here. And he was like, yeah. And uh, so I got a ride and he's like, I th- I'm thinking about doing crystal meth again. And I'm like, no, don't do it. I just did it. My life's miserable. And he's like, <laughs> we're talking. And he dropped me off. And I got out because he couldn't take me all the way home. And I got out. And there was a bus that was running. And the bus wasn't even running at this time. I think it was like 5.15 or whatever in the morning. The sun mm-hmm. had just come up. And um, I waved my hands. And the bus driver stopped in the middle of the street. And she was like, get on. And I was like, no way. I had no money. She's like, it's fine jumped on i was home within five minutes wow and and i walked into my house and i had to be at work at seven uh seven forty five mm-hmm. and i walked into my house and it must have been about six forty five and um i started searching around for crack because i smoked in my house for the last you know three months or whatever right and i found this coke can and it was filled with uh resin with coca-cola and crack i'd smoked out of this can for like a week or something Mm -hmm. and i scraped this whole big pile and i sat down to see if it was actually working and it was the most powerful stuff i've ever smoked and i was like shit i better do this quick because i gotta get in the shower and get to work so i sat there and i smoked that and i was hallucinating my heart was jumping out of my chest um I got in the shower. I had two cigarettes left. I had $5 to call a taxi. I got in the shower at 7.30. I called the taxi at 7.29. Um, I was in the shower, and I was like, oh, my God, please don't die. Don't die. Like hot water, cold water. My heart's jumping out. I'm looking through the smoky shower door to the right. People are coming for me. I see shadows. And I was full paranoid schizophrenic at this yeah. point um, in all my affairs, like, I didn't even get into that, but so I, I, the taxi comes and I get in and I was sucked up. I didn't look good. I had two cigarettes behind my ear and my jaws going, my tongue's all cut up. I get to the salon and I start walking up the courtyard and the manager of the salon at Chris's was a tattooed dude that was sober and Chris was standing there in the kitchen and they both hadn't seen me in a while. Right. And I came walking up and they just started laughing at me. Oh, no. And they were like, no way, dude. What has happened to you? They're like, where's the rest of you? And they were like, dude, when was the last time you ate? And I was like, it's been a minute. And they're like, get off the <laughs> And Chris was like a crackhead, too. Right. So Chris was like, he's like, dude, like he wanted information. He's like, when was the last time you took a hit? You know, thinking that I would say, you know, yesterday or whatever and i was like i looked at my watch and it was like 10 minutes ago he was like oh my god no way he's like go ahead and shampoo matthew perry i was like (laughs) oh my god and matthew perry was sitting in the in the waiting room and i walked up and i'm like hey dude i'm gonna shampoo you and my jaw's going and he didn't look at me and i was like oh nice and so he came over to the shampoo bowl and i'm like standing on top of him my jaw's going i got two cigarettes in my ears and I'm shampooing the dude, and he look at me. And I was like, dope. And I brought him over to the, the chair, and Chris was cutting his hair. And I'm looking, sitting in the courtyard looking through the, the window where Chris cuts hair. Uh-huh. And I'm smoking my cigarette. And I was like, oh, 
amazing. I'm going to get high at 5 o'clock because I'm going to make tips from everybody. And plus, Chris gives me $100 cash, so I'll be able to get high about 5.30. I can go, and I played the tape. I was like, I'll jump on the bus. I'll go through and I'll get there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait a minute. And it was the burning bush moment where I was like, that's not why I came here. I came here to get sober and to get my life together again. So I put the cigarette out. I ran in. I'm like, I got a proposition for you. Matthew Perry was sitting there, and Chris was there, and I just interrupted the whole thing. And I was like, <laughs> I got a proposition, Chris. I'm like, dude, if you take me to rehab and pay for my rehab, which was $1,500 a month, I'll work off 15 days. And he's like, wait a minute. I was like, and the, the rehab that Chris went to was called Liberty House, uh-huh. and it was literally – the most difficult house that was known for recovery in our area, it was behavior <laughs> modification where they strip you of everything. Oh man. And yeah. And so I was so afraid of going there, but it was either, you know, die or, or get sober, sure. you know? And I was at that point and, uh, I knew I had so much more to offer myself and the world and everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I said, Chris, you know, will you do this? And he looked at me and he stopped cutting and Matthew looked at him and he grabbed the phone, which was right there at his station. And he called Liberty house and was like, Hey, I got a guy here who needs to get in there. And they're like, sorry, we're full. And Chris was like, looked at me and he's like, they're full. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, seriously, bro, come on. And he, he was like, you guys, this guy's serious. He's one of my workers. And it's a, do or die situation. Mm-hmm. And they're like, if you can have him here by five o'clock at dinner, we'll get him in and we'll put him on the couch only for you. And Chris was like, okay, cool. Awesome. Wow. Hung up the phone, looked at his schedule and Meg Ryan was at four thirty, uh. <laughs> And so he was like, shit, I can't do it. I have to do Meg. Sure. And, and I was like, Oh fuck. And he was like, hold on a second. And he called Meg Ryan and he, and he rescheduled her and he drove me to rehab on two twenty four oh four, And, uh, and I've been sober ever since. Um, it, Man. you know, he took me to this rehab and, uh, you know, I would see him at meetings and, you know, guys, he would see guys at meetings and he's like, you cut your hair and he's Jason. And I came back and I was working, you know, those, those days off cause I got my foot back in the door. I got one day a week working with him. Sure. And, uh, and I stayed sober. I did the work and I stayed in this, this rehab for 15 months at 34 years old. And oh, I was, uh, I, you know, I was making the effort and I was doing what I needed to do to change. And then I continued to work at Chris's and, uh, some people had left and opened other salons, you know, like Andy LeCamp worked there and he opened another salon, which is Andy LeCamp salon, mm-hmm. uh, Neil George, uh, Amanda George and Neil opened another salon. So a couple of spaces open and Chris was like, like, dude, what if I give you a day, one day a week, can you, can you bring some people in? And I was like, absolutely. I called everybody and I packed the place. And then he was like, wow, that's incredible. <laughs> He's like, what if I give you another day? And I was like, yeah. And I called everybody. I was like, please come. you got to support me. They all came in, and I packed a second day, and he's like, this is unbelievable. How about if I give you that chair full load? Do you think you can 
you can fill it. And I was like, yeah. And I called everybody at this West Hollywood salon that I was working at. And I said, look, I'm coming over to this spot. Please come with me. I need your help. And I ended up working at the Chris McMillan salon. I got my own space. And I'm cranking out these men's haircuts. And um, the front desk is like, yeah, you're fast. You're good. And people are calling his the best men's haircut. And they started sending him to me. And Hugh Jackman, Chris Cornell you know, Brad Gray, like all these big Hollywood people are in my chair and, and I'm like, this is unreal. All I got to do is stay sober and do the work. And so my life got really full and I got, you know, I got this great big life and I met the girl at the front desk. Uh, I went up to her and I was like, you're kind of cute. She was like, you're kind of cute. And I ended up marrying her and, uh, and she went on to do Jennifer Aniston's hair she does. She did five of Jen's movies because she assisted Chris after, and and uh, Chris and her have a great relationship. And Jen and my wife are tight, and my wife heads over there and gets her ready for events and stuff. And you know, at 34, I had nothing. Yeah, you know, I had bad credit, warrants for my arrest. I was 137 pounds, and I thought my life was over. And you know recovery and showing up and being taught how to show up and be of service. My life got really amazing. I got married, bought a house. I have two beautiful children, six-year-old daughter, four-year-old son. Um, I basically can talk, can I? Yeah. Talk this whole podcast. Dude, I love, this is why I have people on because I, I love your story. That is incredible to go from, like you said, you're doing like crack and then you through sobriety dude you're cutting like Hugh Jackman like Bruno Mars Liam Neeson yeah. you're cutting these people's hair when before you couldn't even like take a shower without hallucinating like you, your yeah. life that's incredible that is and I, I love you. that like I, I that's my favorite thing about it, it sounds weird to say but that's my favorite thing about uh, my podcast is that we get this side you know we get the other side like we yeah. see this incredible celebrity stylist this hairstylist that's just got the new lease on life but to know this road that led you here was like arguably one of the hardest roads you could take that's that's amazing so like what when you're when you're getting sober because you you tried before like what was the hardest part at first when you like real deal it is go time sobriety now well just just putting those old ideas aside you know it's like like when you go to the gym and you work out uh-huh. You know, it's muscle, you know, you got to pay your dues in order to get there. It just doesn't like the first time you work out, you're like, Oh my God. And then you start going and after a couple of weeks, you strengthen up that area. So when I first got into recovery, I was, you know, still messing around with girls and making jokes and like, mm-hmm. you know, glamorizing about drinking and using like, Oh, you don't know. Like that I did with those Giuseppe Franco guys. Yeah. You know? And I had to stop stop saying you don't know who I think I am and start, you know, getting humble. And I was how to do that because it's not easy and it's still a daily deal. You know what I mean? Like sure. when you're driving and somebody cuts you off, I'm that guy. That's like, fuck <laughs> you. Like pull over and like, you know what I mean? It's like, and then I feel like shit. And then that's what makes me want to drink and use. And it's by putting, you know, multiple good deeds and, and good thoughts and good behavior into this spiritual bank account that keeps me farther away from a drink. Sure. So that's how I tapped into this, uh, 
this helping the homeless and it was actually at not even something I thought of. It just kind of happened. Really? So, uh, what happened was, yeah. So the, you know, early on in recovery, I was helping uh, new guys get sober and I was, I was working with guys and, and that's how I was being of service. And then what happened was, you know, getting so busy and traveling the world and, and, and doing photo shoots and being at the salon, I was like, God, you know, this is my focus. And I wasn't spending as much time helping other people. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I still had the foundation that I was kind of resting on, but I went out and I actually, I have a lot of people in my chair that I was telling you about directors, producers, and a lot of these guys are like, you're a fucking character. They're like, you should have your own <laughs> show. And I was like, yeah, yeah, right. You know I, I, mean? I agree. But somebody, somebody was like, like, dude, if you go shoot a sizzle reel and I'm like, what's that? And they're like, just, just shoot something that makes you look as cool as you are. Make yourself look like a rock star. And I was like, they're like, shoot your motorcycle, shoot your truck, shoot yourself surfing, you know? <clears throat> and, um, and I was like, okay, cool. And I was like, well, why don't we do this? And I, and I, and I had a director that I was working with. Mm-hmm. Um, but even before that, before I was working the direct with this director, I was, uh, working with somebody else and and we were working on this idea of going out and doing makeovers for dudes you know like the queer eye for straight guy but it was going to be me so i was like yeah like i can spot like it goes back to me judging people and (laughs) you know like my opinion right Right. so i'm like i'm gonna just go for it i'm gonna roll up on people because i have the club promoting skills you know of not being in fear of like approaching people so i'd be like pull over and there's the guy, he's wearing Skechers, his hair's terrible. I'm like, I'm going to serve him up. I'm going to serve him up some shit to make him a better dude, you know? Sure. So we pulled over, and I was like, I was like, hey, I want to cut your hair. And he's like, whoa, beat it, guy. And I was like, okay. And then I go to the next guy, hey. <laughs> had this really hot assistant that was with me, and she, was, she came up to the second guy. I was like, no, 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 you, you got to understand, this guy's good, and, like, it's going to be amazing. And the guy listen to the girl but didn't listen to me of you know course, what i mean of course and, and so we got a guy in my chair and i cut his hair and he went back and it was a huge transformation i took the guy i don't even I, I don't even know but he looked he had like parted hair in the middle and it was all bad and i turned him into just the full like like uh, i make an old reference like <laughs> like i turned him into like i don't know like al pacino or somebody just amazing you know yeah. like like but anyways so um he goes back to work and he's walking tall and he's feeling good. And then the, <clears throat> the director that I was working with was like, dude, U-Haul right there. There's a U-Haul place where these people would stand around for jobs, you know, yeah. and uh, like Home Depot where people hang out. And there was a guy, we pull up and the girl who worked there was like, there's a drunk guy on the side. He needs a haircut. And so I was like, cool. And so we went over and cut his hair. And I started talking to him about recovery and started doing the transformation with him. And I was like, out of all of these makeovers, that's the one that felt amazing to me. And I went home and I was like, wow, that was incredible. And then weeks went by and I was like, I need to go do that again. And then a couple of months go by and I still didn't do it. I'm telling myself I need to go do that again. And then I was like, fuck it. I'm going. I'm going to go do it. So I just grabbed my clippers and I went by myself and I, and I did one. I was like, yeah. And then I went and did another one. And then we started filming it. And that's how it happened. So it kind of just happened through osmosis or whatever you know 
That's amazing. It, so it wasn't even like a, I'm going to go cut hair for the homeless and like a conscious thought. It was something that just naturally happened. That makes it even better, you realize. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I saw this guy, Mark Bustos, doing it, you know, also yeah. in that time. And he's been in New York City doing it. And we actually went out and did a haircut together. And this guy was so humble. And this was not even that long ago. This was during Thanksgiving. This is when the press started a little bit around what I was doing. And we uh-huh. shot a video during Thanksgiving. <clears throat> and then he called me the next day and he's like, I'm in LA. I want to go do some haircuts. And I was like, amazing. I'm like, do you mind if CBS comes down? So they called me and he's like, I don't, I don't need press. Like, I don't want press. And he's like, I'm like, is it okay? Cause they want to come and see me. And he's like, yeah, that's fine. And he's like, I just want to go do haircuts. And, and I met with him at Starbucks and we started talking and he was like, yeah, he's like, you know, it's a human interaction. It's, you know, talking to these guys. And I was just like, yeah, dude, I get it. I'm like, I got so much to learn from you. You've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. So my ideas shifted a bit more and, um, and I felt even better. So. Sure. I, I think it's amazing because that's how I first found out about you was through one of those like viral videos. And I remember just watching what you were doing made me feel better about humanity. I was like, wait a minute, this guy who cuts like celebrity sales in Beverly Hills is giving like essentially giving a celebrity service to a homeless person. That is amazing. It's, it's like a it's like an act of love as opposed to, you know, just saying, I hope you're doing well. Like you're out there and you're in it and like you're making a difference. I think it's really yeah, cool. I, thank you. Thanks. I uh I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just doing <laughs> it, you know, and and the thing is 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 what I found through the social media and posting it, the people that show up to help, yes. it's, 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 it's driving me, you know, and people show up to help. It's unbelievable. I got clients driving, you know, from Newport beach and driving up and people want to fly in and, and people show up and I don't know what I'm doing. I don't <laughs> know. Like I just, I say, we're going to be here, here. And you know what, if it's me doing one haircut, then so be it. It's going to be great. And it turns out to be these day events of amazingness. And and the thing is, is I'm getting so much uh, response from people like you that say it motivates them. Yeah, to do 100%. It. And so it's more than just me helping one person. It's kind of snowballing with everybody wanting to do more. And now I see more housewives coming out and, and doing it too. So um, – I think me next level is, uh, you know, I, I've been talking to Dr. Phil and we just signed a contract because he is amazing at what he does. And, uh, and I want to start pulling people off the street and I know enough people who own recovery centers here in town and this homeless problem in LA is, is really bad. Yeah. I think one of the worst in the, in the world. Sure or in the country. I don't know, but, but I, I don't know all the statistics. As I say, I don't know what I'm doing, but yeah. I'm learning more <laughs> as I go along. Of course. Um, but 60,000 people, and they just did a count uh, recently where they do this homeless count. I think it got like 20% or more worse in the last year. Yeesh. So we definitely, we all need to help a little, like I say, you know, if we all do a little, we can help out a lot. And I believe a haircut can change somebody's life. Those are my, my slogans right now. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, I'm talking to people who know the mayor. I've been talking to the deputy chief. And I 
am wanting to get involved. I want to, um, like I said, pull people off the street uh, for a guy that is like me who was ready. You know what I mean? Sure. And I think that's what I can do. Uh, it's really just find a guy who, just like me, who's just sick and tired of being sick and tired and is willing to do the work. And if I can find somebody like that, then I'll just take them and I'll drive them to the spot where I know there's a bed and there's three meals a day and there's guys going to be pulling his covers to make sure he's doing the deal and, you know, taking him to meetings and, and, you know, the ultimate is to transfer him back into society with work and uh, a place to live. So that's what I'm hot on right now. Sure. That's incredible. Do you have any advice for someone who is, uh, like for somebody who wants to get clean? Um, yeah. I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be ready. You know, they taught me, it's kind of like, you know, the, you watch the, uh, dangerous jobs in the world, most dangerous jobs. And oh, yeah. you gotta picture yourself like, like a guy who's on those Alaskan fishing boats, right? Oh, yeah. And the guy goes overboard, and he falls off into this ice-cold water, and they, they circle back around, and they throw him a life jacket or the donut, right? Yeah, yeah. And the guy's like, the guy's like, I'm good. I can do this. I got this. And they just tries to swim, and he doesn't pick up the life preserver. Mm-hmm. You have to be ready to get sober, like the dying, you know, sure. is reaching for a life preserver. So, so what I say to anybody who's sick and tired of being sick and tired mm-hmm. and who is ready, use whatever resources you can to get into recovery and put yourself around people that are doing the deal. Sure. Um, it's, you know, it's kind of like the Willoughby's pack. You know, if you're in the middle of the pack, you're safe. Right. And it's not going to be easy. It's, it wasn't easy. Detox wasn't easy for me. You know, I said I was in and out for four years. But when I threw down my hands and I was like, I'm sick of being Jason Schneidman. Mm-hmm. Like, show me how to be somebody new, you know. And <clears throat> they were like, you need to be willing 100%. And I was like still kicking and screaming. Like I wasn't able to get laid for six months at this house, you know, sure. and, like that was everything to me. Like I didn't go, you know, like <laughs> without sex six months, like that sounds like, you know, I'd rather eat my shit, yeah. you know? <laughs> so, um, so I, uh, I did it. And, you know, at the end of that six months, uh, I, uh, got the pass to go hook up with this girl and, and that day, some situation happened where I wasn't even involved or to blame. But uh, once again, I came up as somebody that was involved. And they were like, you're not going anywhere. You're sitting down at this table and you're writing 10,000 words. And that was our punishment at this house. You'd have to write words. Right. And so I got up from this dinner when they were grouping me. And I was like, you know what? And I walked into the other room and I was like holding my fist up to punch the wall because I wanted to get laid so bad, you know. <laughs> and uh and I just threw my fist down and I just started laughing. And I was like, you know, I'm like, willingness. I have to be willing to surrender whatever it is I think I need or I want in order to become a different person. And I walked back in 
to the dinner and there's laughing and they're like, what? They're like, you're going to leave. What, what is this laugh? Like, you're, you're going to leave recovery, aren't you? Aren't you going to leave? And I was like, no, 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 I'm good. And it wasn't until I stopped fighting mm-hmm. and I was like, teach me how to be a different person. Sure. Was when the shift happened. That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, what advice would you give to like family and friends of people who are going through that? Um, I think most important is kind of like what my sister did for me because you can't get somebody sober. They have right. to want it. So all you can do is this is what you're supposed to do. So you can go to get help yourself for recovery to learn and understand recovery. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a family disease, you know. Sure. And everybody plays a part, the enabler. And the thing is, is you have to be able to shut the door on this person. You can't enable them right. because you're going to keep them. You're going to keep them in their drugging and drinking or whatever it may be. Um, the other thing is, is you can uh, you can be there for them and tell them that you love them and you support them. And when they're ready, you're there for them, and you do everything in your power to get them into recovery. You know when they're willing, and you just stand. You know, stand your ground. And I know it's easier said than done because you're, you're dealing with sons and daughters who you love and I have a son and a daughter and I you know I, I, I can only imagine right what it's like to shut the door on somebody but you know you have to be willing to disengage and just tell them that you love them and be there for them when they're ready and you can pick them up and you can take them to recovery and that's about it sure that makes sense I, I love how open you are about it because I think authenticity goes a long way in today's world and just how candid and honest you are, I think really is part of why your message is so powerful as well. It just yeah, comes through. Yeah. It comes through. It's also great that your well, last name I... literally translates to cut man. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, bro. I'm trying to figure out. I'm, I've been working on a product line for years. And uh, like nobody's going to buy Schneidman. You know what I mean? I'm like, but they buy Kiehl's. You know, they buy Kiehl's. What's Kiehl's? You know what I mean? That's so, true. That's right, true. Now, right now, I'm just the men's groomer. And uh, and I found that that name, and it was open when I was searching years ago. And I'm like, that's a pretty cool brand name, the Men's Groomer. You know, I so love, I love it. <clears throat> yeah, I think so it's I, fantastic. I'm gonna have some. I'll have some products here soon. I've been working on for like seven years. Like I said, my formulations of the perfect paste and the perfect pomade and stuff for guys that are balding and thickening sprays and all the stuff that I use. I just uh, you know, not to not to pitch that that's not what this is about, but sure. I'm excited to to have some good stuff out there. Yeah, as you should be. It's a lot of hard work come to fruition. I think it's great. But uh, can you believe Thank we've you been know. talking for almost an hour already? I told you I do 20 minutes. I know. Fuck, I'm dude? sorry. <laughs> I'm Are you so- kidding me? It's me. I was... I'm sorry. I don't shut up. No, dude. I've done. You know? I've done like no joke. The the longest one I've ever done was almost three hours because yeah. the guest stories were oh, just incredible. I'm I'm into That's it. That's awesome. <laughs> so no, thank well, thank you. I really appreciate great. it. Uh, you yeah. Know. No, and thank you for letting me you know, carry the message. I think that's the most important part is people listen, people go out and they help. And I feel like seriously, one more time, if we all do a little, we can help out a lot. And that's, you know, with this homeless thing, it's, it's like, what do we do? What can you do? Sure. And my sister came the other day and she was like, I figured it out. <laughs> Socks and 
wipes and stuff of that sort, you know, listening. She's like, I'm going to put those in the backseat of my car. Cause you know, when you see the guy at the light where they're like begging for money, yeah. flip them, flip them a bag with a socks and it, and you know, some, some wipes and, and a toothbrush. And I was like, I love that. And I'm like, that's the perfect thing of just like, what can we, you know, what can we do? And, and if we all do a little, we can help out a lot. And yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it's going to take a lot, but, these are our neighbors and, and their people and, you know, human interaction oh, is so like important. getting sparse, getting sparse. These days. We're at the <laughs> gas station and we're at the pumps and we just swipe and, you know, it's all computers. And so, <clears throat> you know, if I just grab somebody's hand and, <clears throat> and massage it for a minute, you know, this one guy I, I did that for and, and he, he was a black guy whose hands were super ashy and he had tear marks coming down his face that were like engraved in there. Mm-hmm. And I grabbed um, some face wipes and I wiped off his face and his skin color came back and his hands, I put lotion on there. And by the end of the day, he was the number one helper at our event and he was just cleaning up and <clears throat> it was amazing. His name was Jethro. Wow. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, he was great. And another Another story was my wife and kids came down and a girl was, was, was so excited walking off with a blanket and she walked by my kids and my wife and my wife and kids saw her and she said, last night I was sleeping on cardboard and tonight I get to sleep on this big comfy blanket. Oh, and awesome. uh, I told this story a couple of times and I got emotional and <clears throat> just <clears throat> being able for my kids to see that and hear that makes it all all worth it that day you know absolutely that's that's the kind of stuff that at the end of the day that really really matters you know human human interaction it means everything and uh you're 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 doing the good work out there man and i'm uh i'm very very glad that i got to talk to you because this this was really fun i hope you had a good time i did i had a great time i love talking about myself yeah right dude (laughs) if you ever want to come back on you got my number now (laughs) <laughs> thanks brian um, i appreciate it man where can pe- where can people find you online um so uh well i have the mensgroomer.com mm-hmm. where it's it shows my body of work and the the store where i have stuff but mostly the interaction and everything is through my instagram yep. which i started right when instagram started and so i'm at the men's groomer and uh you know that's where I post up my videos and my events, uh, which is usually about two weeks out. I'm not a big planner, yeah. kind of spontaneous. <laughs> so everybody's like, when's the next one? And I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. You know, and then I'll just post it up. And, uh, <clears throat> and that ties to Facebook at Jason Schneidman mm-hmm. on Facebook. So the men's groomer Instagram ties to Jason Schneidman. Uh, on Facebook and those same videos and posts go to both. And that's kind of been my, you know, social media channels. And, and I do all of that stuff myself. Like I'll go out and I will film, well, I'll have somebody film obviously an assistant or whatever. And then that night I'll come home and I'll get on this uh, video shop app that I found that works for me. And I cut all these videos on my phone myself. Sweet. That is incredible. Well, yeah, dude, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Brian, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great Monday, everybody. Yeah. Woo. Signing off with the whistle. (laughs) Thanks, man. Oh, I love it.
Later. Hello, friends. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of uh, The Interesting Podcast. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Jedi Brian. If you want to follow the show, it's at Pod of Interest on Twitter. And uh, if you enjoyed this, uh, if you wouldn't mind, go to iTunes and give it a five-star rating. That pushes us to the front of uh, the iTunes algorithm, and it helps book guests. Um, yeah, so I really appreciate you listening. Until next time, be well.